Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. We're the hosts of the Places Where We Go podcast. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places in our own local backyard. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. We're back for more adventures, and recently we took what would be our second trip to the Death Valley area. With some friends. Yeah. So we wanted to, we're trying to get in as much traveling as we can during these days where travel seems to be difficult and nothing's... And be safe. Yeah, and be safe, but nothing's going to stop us. So (laughs) a traveling we will go all in a safe and socially distant way, I suppose, right? Yeah. So here's what we're going to end up doing. We did a few things that are nearby Death Valley, but not in Death Valley. So we're going to talk about those experiences on today's episode. And then we're going to follow up with um, one or two more episodes in Death Valley National Park itself, mm-hmm. too, because mm-hmm. we did both. Yes. So again, recently, you know, we took a drive with some friends. We hitched up the trailers and made our way to the Death Valley area. This time, so this is our second time that we've been to Death Valley. Yes, the first time we went alone. Yeah. Just me and you. And we did a route that was kind of off of the, close to the 395 Mm -hmm, highway. mm -hmm. This time we would end up going this back way. So we took Highway 15, hung a turn at Baker, Mm -hmm. and went up, I think it was Highway 127. So we're driving up Highway 127, and I think on the way, we did see a few places where there was quite a number of trailers where people were boondogging. They seem to be popular sites. I don't think they're on any kind of reservation site. I think BLM-ish kind of land. It must be maybe. BLM. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there were areas where people take their off-road yeah. vehicles. They were definitely and, labeled. Yeah. There were like some kind of dunes. Yeah. Yeah. We also had, I think, one eye open for where might we be able to boondock in the future, just given the nature of travel these days. Mm-hmm. But so we continued to drive up the road. And then I had seen out of the corner of my eye this sign for the Amargosa Opera House. And this was our first pull the car over because we're going to check this out. Yes. And I do remember after our first trip ever to Death Valley, I had done some reading about the area and, and I read about this opera house and it was just an interesting piece of arts history in literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, so you're like in the middle history of, yeah, too, yeah. in the middle of the desert and there's on our left side was the, was the opera house. On the right-hand side, there was this building that had some memorabilia connected to the opera house. But interesting story. So in this area, literally in the middle of nowhere, years ago, there was this lady named Marta Beckett, who was an actress, a dancer, just a all-around artist, who would end up performing for more than four decades at her own theater in this place. By herself. Yeah. Because eventually it became where other artists were unable or they could not meet the demands of performing at this theater. She started with a few people, right? And And then it just became only her. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it was just her, like a one-woman mm-hmm. show type of thing. So yeah, the story is that in 1967, somewhere around that time, she and her husband were touring around the country, I think trying to put on shows here and there, and they ended up camping in Furnace Creek in Death Valley and happened to get a flat tire at the site of what would be the Amargosa Opera House. And as hubby was fixing the tire, she's taken a glance at this place and the light bulb struck her and she was thinking, hey, I could make a theater for myself here. And this is where she would stay. And for the next 40 years, Mm -hmm. put on shows and she would dance, she would compose music, just Interesting. We had seen um, a week or so ago also a YouTube that showed us inside of the opera house because yeah. we weren't able to go in when we stopped. Right. It's, COVID it's closed. Right. Temporarily closed. Yeah. Or but, indefinitely closed. Yeah. What do you remember about the inside of this place? Very painted. The the ceilings, the walls, all were painted, and apparently by her. Yeah. And it has quite a legend. People talked about uh, the ghosts in the in the theater mm-hmm. and. But it was very lavish looking. It yeah. looked like she had a small stage, just a little small stage where she had put on several shows yeah. for the locals in the area. Yeah, and sometimes she would perform regardless of if there was an audience or not. Yeah. And on these murals on the wall, and they say it looks a little bit like the Globe Theater in England, uh, the Shakespearean theater, but she painted murals of people sitting in balcony seats, and that would be her inspiration to perform when nobody was there. So just an interesting piece of American arts history. I hope that somewhere in the future, this theater will be open again for shows. I know that there's a nonprofit that does some upkeep for it and they try Mm -hmm. to preserve the legacy it sure would be i I would like to go back someday if the Mm -hmm. place is open for shows because i enjoy that kind of thing so yeah i would go with you if uh that kind of story is of interest to you there's a book called to dance on sand which presents the history of marta beckett and I think it's always neat when you're traveling in places that do have these unique histories to soak up some of that and know what happened before you ever got there as a tourist. So anyways, we then got back in our cars and we would end up driving to a destination that we would stay at that we will talk about at the end of this show. But we had on our schedule, our first day in the area would be to explore an area called Rhyolite, which is another place I had read about after our first trip to Death Valley that we never got to. So day two, Julie, we woke up. Hopped in the car in and, the truck and where did we, we go? started off and we had originally in some of the planning that we had done thought we would go to see Area 51 because our friend had said it was close by no more than 16 miles. So I'm like, yeah, we're in, we're in, we're going to go see this Area 51. Yes, it was very exciting for me. And uh, lo and behold, a closer look revealed that it was much longer drive. The highway went much farther than we would have wanted to go in a day. And we decided that we were just going to stop at a little store that was on an intersection, a T intersection, 
that had the whole alien theme going on and the Martians and the uh, touristy thing happening. So we thought, hey, we'll just stop here and get our Area yeah. 51 experience, get, you know, get that part out of our system. Yeah. So this was the Area 51 Alien Travel Center. Yes. And I think I was driving. And I saw it and I'm just like, we're going. I think I think our friends were behind us. And, yeah, we decided we were uh, going to yeah, leave We away, were just like, so. hey, we're going, we're going. So yeah. we stopped and took a lot of pictures with the little alien guys on the outside where you could stick your head in uh, the middle of them and look like you're schmoozing with the aliens. And then we went inside the store. Where there was more green There was the tons store. of alien type artwork and little sculpture plastic guys and the fortune telling alien and i think they had alien tequila bottles they had alien tequila and other booze and it was fun it was it was it was really fun i I had a good time yeah yeah weren't able to do the whole extraterrestrial highway so that's like i think if you go the other direction on this t so that'll be a trip for another time because yeah i I would love to do that i really would it was also a great place because it's a mini mart and it's a gas station. So you can gas up. It's You can get some snacks for the road mm-hmm. if you want. So that was a nice place to stop. I think we got a few snacks. Yeah, we did. And so it was, it was a was, quick stop off for yeah. uh, some food too. And then we would hop in the car and start to make our way toward Rhyolite. And before we would get to that destination, we knew that we would be going through the town of Beatty. And in the town of Beatty, I had pulled up on TripAdvisor, I think the night before, that there is a museum and historical society. Mm-hmm. So I thought, hey, that would be kind of cool to yeah. check out and just to get some more information about the area. Now, that was one of the original places that we uh, kind of threw out there for staying. Um, oh, we were going to stay in Beatty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently it's a good thing that we didn't right. choose that area. It's a little higher up than where we yeah, were. Because what happened that day, Julie? It snowed. I mean snowed. It wasn't just little flakes that fell out of the sky and melted when it hit the ground. It, it, it was, was a building proper, up. proper snowstorm. Yes, it was awesome. It was neat to drive through. Because mm-hmm. where we live, we don't get snow down below. So we had come up to the museum. So we were very excited. It was snowing. It was not something us Southern Californians get over here. So... We had some fun with that, but in walking up to the museum, even though you had looked online, and it said it opened at ten, said it was open, but it was shut closed. Yeah, yanked on the door and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So, I think the lesson here is before planning to go to this museum, I would probably call them in advance to make sure that they're going to be open because I don't. I'm assuming that they were closed because of the whole COVID COVID, thing. But the information that was showing on their website wasn't current, at least Mm -hmm. in our experience. So we did not get that experience. So back in the car, we went and off we would go to the destination of the Rhyolite ghost town. Mm -hmm. And we did go through a pass. uh Uh-huh. I believe that was Highway 374. So we took off. We were in the lead. We have our... F-250 four-wheel drive truck behind us is our friends with their smaller truck. And then behind them was a Jeep with four-wheel drive. So two of us were doing okay because as we entered this pass road, 
it was snowing quite heavily yeah. to where you did not really see the road except for the tracks where people have driven prior. Yeah, and you had to be cautious given the kind yeah. of weather and yeah. yeah. And we had no idea when we planned this trip or even the days leading up to it yeah. that we'd encounter this kind of weather. Yeah, yeah, so we felt I felt pretty safe because of our truck, but yeah. I worried about our friends behind us. But we all did okay. We kind of drove, I think, slow enough to make sure everybody was okay. And then being able to follow each other was another safety item just to make sure we Mm -hmm. were all good together. Together. Yeah. Yeah. So Rhyolite. So this is an area that's that's not too many miles out of Death Valley National Park. And it's on the eastern side of the park. I think it's in Nevada proper, in the state of Nevada. So interesting history of this place. This town basically sprung up in the year 1904, and within 12 years, it would be gone. So it had a really short lifespan. It came to be because of the interest in gold and mining, and people thought that this was an area where they were going to strike it rich. And back in those early 1900s, communities where people thought that there was going to be lots of gold, people came from all over the place. So in 1904, there was just one person living in the area, and that was Old Man Beatty, whose name lives on today in the name of the town nearby. But before you knew it, there was 2,000 claims made in an area covering 30 miles. Buildings began to spring up. There was one, and I think we saw a remnant of it, three stories tall. It cost $90,000 to build in the early 1900s. A stock exchange was formed there. The ladies from San Francisco came to form a red light district. They had hotels, a store, a school for 250 children. Electricity would come to the town. And then it was interesting. So there was one gentleman who operated the Montgomery Shoshone mine, and he had boasted that he could take in $10,000 a day in ore from the mine which later attracted the attention of a gentleman by the name of Charles Schwab, and I think we're probably familiar with that name, who purchased this mine in 1906 for somewhere between two to six million dollars, so a lot of money back then. But you know, shortly after the town sprung up, there was a financial panic, and uh, next thing you know, the mine started to close, the banks failed, and wow. in 1916, the lights and the power were finally turned off in the town. Everybody left, but parts of the buildings still remain to this day. Yeah, yeah. Good, good sections of walls. It's not just the foundation of buildings. It's, you know, you've got like that three-story building has the facade of it is, is still pretty intact. Interesting to look at the building materials of the buildings then too, because you see a mix. You see stone with mortar, mm-hmm. and then you see on top of some of them actual man-made bricks. So it was, it was an interesting mix of building material. Some of them, there's signage to let you know what the building was once upon a time. I think on some of the buildings themselves, there was still the original signage like up on top over the doorways. Just, yeah, I only on saw the one. Yeah. Two, maybe. The one was very easy to read. Mm-hmm. It was in stone. Mm-hmm. But the other was painted onto wood. And we were really struggling to read that, but it was there. Yeah. And while much of the area was in ruins, just parts of buildings that used to be at the end of 
the main road, there was one building that was still fully intact, yeah? Yeah, I don't remember it. I think it even had a roof. So, so this was the old train depot. Mm-hmm. But this was the one part in this area that was completely fenced off. Right. So the most intact, but yeah. the one thing that you couldn't walk directly up to. Yeah, and there's probably a concern about falling building material, bricks and rocks and stuff. Yeah. So they they want to keep people away. Yeah. So as we were kind of exploring the ruins, you know, also dawned on us that if our schedule was a little bit different, I think you and I probably would have spent probably a few hours walking, Just walking the broader even, area. Yeah, right? even some of these little, what look like trails. I yeah. mean, you could walk off a little bit and still have sight of the town of Rhyolite mm-hmm. and not get lost and, yeah. and take a little exploration just outside of the, the the ghost town yeah and i think there's a lot of most of the walking that you could probably do in this area would be on flatland so not strenuous hiking yeah but you could make an entire day yeah. out of visiting yeah. this area if you yeah. were so inclined for us it was snowing mm-hmm. which was very cool to be in a ghost town and it's actually snowing yeah so we did address we did dress appropriately we knew that it was going to be cold So I think we were pretty well prepared. The other thing that worked to our advantage, even though it was snowing, was visiting this area during the time of year that we did. So both times that we visited Death Valley has been in kind of late December, early January. I think the other day I was reading about some tourist thing about visiting Rhyolite where they were really stressing to be careful when you visit this area in summer Mm because it gets so hot. hot. And if you spend more than a little bit of time there, that heat can really get to you. So this whole area, I just recommend the winter time, probably even parts of spring would be nice Mm -hmm. to visit. You know, Mm -hmm. I think you really have to pick your time of the year Mm -hmm. to get decent experience unless you want to experience the heat that death valley is known for (laughs) then go in july which is topping off at 120 plus so there are days where it's sweltering sweltering hot and dangerous so you have to be very careful so as we were leaving the ruins of the ghost town you drive down the road and there's several other things that you can see so on the left side of the road was an area of bottle houses and the one that's the most well known here is what's called Tom Kelly's bottle house so Tom Kelly was one of these guys who was drawn into the area at the time of the gold rush promise etc and he was a little innovative here so as the mining town grew up obviously you'd have saloons and places where people would be drinking He ended up collecting 50,000 bottles in less than six months, and he used those to construct a house. So he positioned the bottles, mortar in between, and next thing you know, he ended up building a three-room house complete with a porch, but made out of bottles. But by the time he finished building his bottle house, Mr. Tom Kelly was nearly 80 years old, and he made the decision. He said, hey, I'm not gonna live in this thing. I'm going to raffle it off. So he sold raffle tickets for five bucks a ticket. And the winning family, a family by the name of the Bennetts, lived in this bottle house until the year 1914. Years later, in 1925, the house was used by Paramount Pictures for a movie set on a film that was called Airmail. And in later years, there was a family with eight kids who lived in this bottle house until the year 1969. So another interesting folky art 
thing that you can still see today. And Julie, this was not the first bottle house that we have seen in our lives, is it? No, it is not in our little town. Uh, just maybe 10, 15 minutes from us is Grandma Prisby's Bottle Village. And she did the same thing. She had collected bottles over many, many, many years. And she had not only built a bottle house, but several different bottle structures on our property. Yeah, you and I had the opportunity to visit a few years ago. So I think at Grandma Prisby's Bottle Village in Simi Valley, they had, I mean, once upon a time, it was, I think, open frequently where people could go in. And then after the Northridge earthquake, it ended up where there would be like one day a year mm-hmm. that the place would be open. And I think there was obviously safety concerns, et cetera. So you and I had the opportunity to go and visit, snapped a lot of photos. That's the only time that I'd ever been there. I don't know you growing up here, if you had been there before. Or? Well, Grandma Prisby lived for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So there is stories of several people, mostly on the east side of the valley, that would spend time with Grandma Prisby. She was kind of like so a local have, legend. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of stories about her from people that were a little bit older than me. She, I mean, I forget when she died, but... But up until we went to this place, the only bottle house I had ever heard about and seen was Grandma Prisby's in Simi Valley. And lo and behold, there's another one in uh, Rhyolite. Yeah. Wonder if Grandma Prisby ever met Mr. Tom Kelly. Probably (laughs) probably not, because he would have been long gone, I suppose. Right. By the time she was a little girl. But maybe he inspired her. So anyways... (laughs) Back in the car we go, probably just for two minutes, to yes. our next stop in the off the same road. We had also did a little reading and we found out that there was a sculpture that was in the area. We didn't realize it was so close. Mm-hmm. But as you are driving into Rhyolite, there's a sculpture park, or they call it the Goldwell Open Air Museum. And there are several different types of sculptures The one that was predominant was The Last Supper by Albert Shuglasia. This was a gentleman that created several other statues, but the most famous must have been The Last Supper. And it still stands today. We got a chance to uh, get up close to it. And it does have a very strange kind of, um, shall I say, vibe to it. It's very unusual. It has a lot of creativity to it Mm -hmm. in his interpretation of The Last Supper, but you can kind of see where he was going with it. It had very ghostly-like figures, and those figures actually, I think, were meant for human beings to get up and actually nestle yourself into them. So it was very interesting. Well, he created it with... Initially, there were human beings that were draped with something or other. And so he poured plaster over them until the plaster dried. And then the people vacated these molds. Yeah, and he, he yeah. kind of created like the ones that were sitting. There's mm-hmm. little benches for them. He was inspired to make this sculpture by finding a resemblance between the Mojave Desert and the Holy Land scenic vistas. Each figure is just a stark white cloak that you were talking about. You know, when yeah. you have that, that draped over effect that seems to drape over nothing because... Yeah. Almost like inv- they're like yeah. over invisible 
Yeah. Figures. Yeah, they're all life size because they mm-hmm. were created with, right. with real people in there. Yeah. The thing that, and I hate to say this, that struck me as one of the most interesting things about visiting the sculpture was that it seemed pretty pristine. So this has been standing here since what, 19... 1984? Yeah, so mm-hmm. decades. And I don't know if they clean it up from time to time, but the unfortunate thing is it's things like this that you've got people who will deface. You know, some of the national parks we've read about in recent years, like Joshua Tree, people defacing some of the rock formations, mm-hmm. et cetera. Sure, and I don't know yeah. what, what it is that gets into people to do stupid things like that. But I, I was so pleased to see when we pulled up to the sculpture that it was maintained yeah. perfectly. All of them. He had a yeah. few more. He had one that he also created that was called the Ghost Rider. And it was one of the figures that was preparing to mount onto a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And that had been untouched pristine looking he had another one that had a palette of color as if a painter and that one looked really pristine so they all looked like they were respected yeah it was also interesting i was reading the other night so when he created the the last supper sculpture he initially thought that the sculpture itself would only last for a few years because the climate in the area is so harsh, you know, between mm-hmm. this beating sun that's the most extreme almost, you know, compared to anywhere in the world, winds that can get very strong. Mm-hmm. He thought within a couple of years, his sculpture would be disintegrated or blown to bits and it still stands there today no, yeah, and, and looks beautiful. Still yeah. yeah, they're just, they're fascinating. Yeah. There you just kind of look at them. It's not one of those things that I walked away just with a glance that, oh, nice, walked away. It kind of drew you into it. Yeah, we spent a bit of time and we got very up close. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah. Then I walked across, there's this little gully type thing. And uh, across the way was another sculpture because other artists came in and there are other sculptures and pieces of artwork there and one of them was a 25-foot pink woman constructed solely from cinder block. And it was very fascinating. At first, I wasn't sure what it was supposed to depict, but it didn't take long to look at this. And, oh, that's a woman in the nude mm-hmm. is what it was, mm-hmm. made from cinder block, which was really fascinating. So it was very blocky looking, yeah. but it definitely was no doubt what it was. So, you know, if you like art, probably like more modern type of art and quirky Americana art, mm-hmm. here's this place in the middle of nowhere, free to drive up to, mm-hmm. and you can spend some time mm-hmm. looking at these sculptures that are just left for us to admire and appreciate. So I didn't expect to see all of this in this one location. You yeah. know, we got the ghost town, we got the open air museum, we got the bottle house. Mm-hmm. There was even a cemetery there that if our schedule was a little bit different, you and I probably would have spent some more yeah. time yeah. you know, checking that out. But you know, we didn't get to that, but that's also in the area. So just a few miles from Death Valley is this neat additional experience that if you've got an extra day to bolt on to mm-hmm. a Death Valley trip, I'd recommend you know, driving out to Rhyolite mm-hmm. and Absolutely. checking it out. Mm-hmm. And when you're done with the day in Rhyolite or done with the day in Death Valley and you, you need some accommodation, we ended up for this trip, we stayed about 45 minutes outside of Death Valley National Park. It was kind of close enough to drive into the park for mm-hmm. the day, but we also wanted to be in a place where we could get to Rhyolite. So we selected 
the Long Street in RV Park, which I believe is in the Amargosa Valley in terms of city and town. Yes, I believe so, yeah. So very nice impression driving up to the RV site. Yeah, it's right over the state line. Yeah, it has a quite large inn. I mean, it, it looks quite large and a casino. So you drive in to the parking lot and behind all of that is the RV site areas. And they're, I believe all of them have full hookups. Is, am I correct? Or are there some that don't? As far as I know, I think they all have full hookups. Most of them are pull-through sites. Mm-hmm. There's a few that are back in, mm-hmm. but we had a pull-through site. So that's always makes, you know, getting in and, yeah. in and out Good size sites too. They're not... You didn't feel yeah. cramped to your neighbor. It, it seemed like you had plenty of room. Yeah. Now, when we were there too, I mean, it was cold. So the mm-hmm. evenings would get like it was almost 32 degrees. So we had a little bit concern about, you know, making sure that things didn't freeze up. But it was also so cold that we didn't have any time to spend outside of the trailer right. and camping chairs, et cetera, because it was just too nippy. But, uh, you know, fa- fairly nice. The pads were level. Mm-hmm. So that's always a good thing. It was kind of a combo, what gravel and dirt yeah. road that we were on. So you mentioned, you know, smallish casino there. There's a mini mart, the opportunity to buy some snacks, some supplies. Just snacks. I mean, there's not much in the little mini mart. I bought Def for the truck. You did? I did. So there are some extras. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, food wise. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So lots of snacky type items. Yeah. 24-hour fuel outside. You could buy propane. Propane. So that was Mm -hmm. nice to have. And then what else? Just don't take video inside the casino. Yeah, I guess you're never supposed to do that, are you? Oh, you you were getting in trouble there. I didn't know where I was for a second. Yeah. (laughs) But then when you step out the door, Julie, what else is there? There is the cutest little farm animals ever. They were so adorable. They were very loud. They They talked a lot. Every time you walked by, there was a couple mules, a mom and a baby mule. Well, not a baby, but it was her baby. There were sheep. There was a cow. There was chickens. There were ducks. Anaheim ducks. (laughs) (laughs) All the way in Nevada. Let's go ducks. It wasn't a large area. And they, you know, were all had different pens, but they were next to each other. But they were all farm animals. Yeah, it was a, it was labeled a petting zoo. Yeah, yeah. And the animals would come up to oh, the fence, they and people. you can pet them, and you could feed them. I could feed them. I ended up finding a little bit hay and and feeding them. And then we were there when the caretaker was there tending the animals, and he had some carrots and some other vegetables. And he said I could go ahead and give her the donkey. We're talking about the donkey, some carrots, and that was fun. I fought her for that one. Mm. She was going to take the whole thing. I'm like, nope, your baby gets one too. It was really cute. It was really interesting to have these animals kind of in the middle of nothing and at a casino. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just interesting. Yeah. So if you're traveling with little kids, I think they'd get a kick out of that. Oh, I first thing I thought of was our grandchildren. Yeah. Or if you love animals and you like animals. Yeah. So that was kind of neat. And then in the back of the casino area, there was this little small chapel that you and I had walked into Mm -hmm. that was, if I remember correctly, I think it was modeled off of an early Catholic church. St. Stephen's in one of the local towns. I forget how far away it was, but 
they had uh, modeled it off of that church. Yeah, and I imagine today they probably use it for weddings. So when people go yeah. to Nevada for the... Yeah, they have a whole landscape there with this enormous pond area with kind all of kinds like of water birds and yeah. bridges. And yeah. it was quite the uh, desert scene. Yeah, and then if you like the desert landscape, you know, you've got the casino where it sits and then you just look beyond it and you've got that pristine desert floor with the mountains in the background mm-hmm. and i just like to look at that yeah I mean, we had a storm yeah. come through drop some snow on the mountains yeah. it was just gorgeous yeah so just know for lodging and this is both accommodating rv travelers as well as you know people in the inn so you know proper hotel rooms this was actually not our first choice we originally had reservations to camp in death valley national park at furnace creek everything was canceled but we ended up coming up with a plan B in Nevada, just over state line. And you really can't miss this casino, Long Street Casino, as you're driving up and you see this massive, enormous bovine, not in front, but on the side of the casino. Yeah. Apparently there's a story. There's a story that goes why that this cow, this big gigantic sculpture of a cow is sitting there. Yeah. I never like heard it. But. Famous cow. There, yeah, there's yeah. a plaque about it. You and I ended up one morning, we got up and we took our photo with the uh, statue of the bovine. Yes. And we were not the only ones who had that idea. No, no, no. This incredibly friendly young man was trying to do the same thing. And, he was doing selfies. And I yeah. think we helped each other out yeah. getting photos. <laughs> yeah. So some of what we described at the casino, we'll see in the next upcoming weeks, we might throw up a video on our YouTube channel because we took some footage. Mm-hmm. So we'll show you some more about it and the petting zoo, etc. So hopefully that'll be coming up pretty soon. And next time that we get together, we will go into Death Valley and explore quite a number of things that we've done on the two trips that we've Mm -hmm. taken to Death Valley. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. really neat national park. It's one that I think you and I both stumbled across later in our life. Yeah. But um, it continues to give us new things to explore both times we've been there. And there's even more that we can still see, I think, on a future trip. So, uh, yeah, so it's, mu- it's a massive, massive part. Yeah. And maybe next time we'll go four-wheeling in our four-wheel truck. Well, we'll, we'll talk about an opportunity yeah. of something that I'd like <laughs> to see. That the only way we can get to see it would be to do some dirt driving. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so... But that'll be in the future. But in the very, very near future, we will go inside Death Valley. So come back and join us and uh, hop into the national park with us. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, We'll be back soon. And until we meet at the places where we go. If you have any comments or info to share with us about travel, you can write us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram, both at the places where we go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.